I want to talk today about two issues where Satan is really attacking the church. The first issue relates to we have religious liberty to respond to the gospel in this particular area. In the second sermon today, talking about transgenderism, it's how do we understand this? Where does it come from philosophically? Where has it arisen from? And what is the basic, uh, the principles of this transgender movement around us? And how do we respond as Christians um, to the realities of the world in which we live? The realities of the facts that our, our children are growing up and they're being marinated in this ideology, whether we like it or not. So this afternoon, we move on. Um, we have Pastor Daryl Bentley. Thank you for being with us today. Um, he'll be sharing with us uh, questions of conscience if one were to choose to join the military. There are questions of conscience that one inevitably faces, such as the Sabbath question. And um, we will also be having um, a presentation from uh, Kathy Nauf. She is, she is the director of the Southwest Michigan Anti-Human Trafficking Network. And we'll be looking at what, how do you recognize human trafficking? What are the uh, forms of human trafficking in the Michigan area? And if you recognize it, what can we do about it? Um, I have a 13-year-old daughter. If you have a daughter, if you have a granddaughter, if you have a niece, if you have a wife, if you are a lady, you should be interested in human trafficking. Uh, so I invite you to come back this afternoon. That's from 2 till 4 this afternoon. Uh, but this morning we're going to focus on um, a topic where Satan is really attacking the church. The World Health Organization has declared that pornography is a public emer health emergency. Even in the secular world, pornography is viewed as a, as a uh, public health emergency. And I want to say today that it's a spiritual emergency in our church as well. It's a spiritual emergency, and if we do not address this, if we do not talk about it, if we do not turn to God in repentance and faith, then we are going to lose our families and we're going to lose our men and our young women as well, because it is becoming a pervasive problem throughout our church here in the West. Um, as we begin our, our service this morning, uh, as we open the Word of God, I invite you to bow your heads with me. I will ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Dear Father, uh, we live in a world where... Uh, Lord, Satan knows how to tempt us. Lord, he knows what buttons to press. He knows what to whisper when we're tired or discouraged and exhausted. Father, he knows um, how to attack us. He knows how to attack us in public and in private. And so today, Father, we lift our eyes to you, for we know not what else to do. And we're asking, Father, that your words will come loud and clear through to us. The good news that you have sent us, Jesus Christ, a saviour, to give us victory over this pervasive sin. So, Father, I ask that you speak through me and for me today. Open our hearts, Father. May we be willing to listen. May we be willing to be transformed through the, through the renewing of our minds and of our thinking. In the name of Jesus, I ask. Amen. So, um, are any of you familiar with this guy here? Ted Bundy. He was a well-known American criminal. Uh, lived from 46 to 89. He had kind of rock star looks, a very handsome man. And um, he was imprisoned uh, um, and ultimately uh, he died in prison for um, the assault on many women. And when he was interviewed as to why, what led him down this path in life, uh, he gave an interview and uh, he discussed the point that as, uh, as a young man he was compulsively involved in the use of uh, immorality. And um, this is a quote from that interview. He says, Until you reach the point where the pornography only goes so far, you reach that jumping-off point where you begin to wonder if maybe actually doing it will give you that which is beyond just reading about it or looking at it. Ted Bundy was at that jumping-off point 
for two years. He watched, he read, he filled his mind with immorality, and he was at that jumping off point for two years before he decided to act out upon what was inside his mind. Before he waited two years at that jumping off point before he started his assaults on women and on girls. So let's talk about the scale of the problem within the Christian church. This is a, a survey conducted by um, Pew Research, and um, they were looking at the levels of addiction to, to uh, immorality among Christian men, and uh, this is what they found. It was from Barna Research Group. 77% of Christian men aged 18 to 30 look at uh, immorality on the internet at least monthly. 36% of Christian men aged 18 to 30 watch it on a daily basis. 32% admit that they're addicted to it. And another 12% think that they maybe are addicted to it. When you look at slightly older men, men aged 31 to 49, these are professing evangelical men. Uh, this isn't looking Adventist per se, but it's evangelical men in North America. Among the slightly older age range, 70% of men looked at it whilst at work in the past three months. 64% view it at least monthly, and 18% admit to being addicted to immorality, and another 8% think that they may be. These are, I don't know what you think about these statistics, but um, my sense among Adventists is that we're not much different to the wider population. I don't think we're that much different, and uh, certainly if you look at the younger age ranges, um, boys age 12 up to the age of 18, you're probably going to see even higher uses of internet immorality than what we find up here. Among married Christian men in North America, 55% admitted to looking at it at least monthly, 35% admitted to an extramarital affair, and among the world's, uh, the world's most popular porn site, if you take a look at the statistics, among the top, uh, the world's most popular porn site, I won't mention it from the pulpit, it's among the top five most popular websites in the world above Amazon, above YouTube, um, one of the top five sites in the world deals with this kind of material. According to their webpage in 2017, there were 28.5 billion hits in 2017. That's a lot of hits. There were 56,000 hits per minute on just one site, and there are hundreds of thousands of sites like this. But on the biggest one, there are 56,000 hits per minute 75% were male, and 25% were female, and that female percentage is rising all the time. Uh, young women are becoming increasingly involved with this kind of activity, as well as young men. This truly is a, a huge problem for us today. We're going to look uh, at what is the problem with this. How does it affect us before we look at what the gospel might say to this problem? Um, uh, but the first thing we would say is this that uh, internet immorality is addictive. Now, I think we all know this in, uh, in instinctively, but I want to discuss this morning why is it addictive? What is it about it that actually turns this into an addiction, uh, particularly for men? Because of its addictive nature, viewers tend to use, need an ever-increasing dosage over time in order to feel the same level of enjoyment. And they often seek out more extreme forms to maintain the same level of excitement as they become um, immune to what they've previously been watching. Now, like any, um, when you engage in an activity that gives you pleasure, um, we all have heard of dopamine, yes? When, when you go for a walk, when you, um, when you look at a bar of chocolate or even think about a bar of chocolate, 
Um, if, if, if you walk down the streets in England, I was once walking down the streets in England and I'd been overseas for five years and I hadn't had a bag of you know, English fish and chips uh, bathed in salt and vinegar. And I was walking down the street and suddenly my nose was arrested, quite literally. My nose went back like this. I smelt something. I thought, what is that smell? And it triggered this amazing dopamine rush in my brain. Then I realized it's salt and vinegar. There's a fish and chip shop in the neighborhood. And I followed my nose and there indeed was the promised land. There was a fish and chip shop. Um, and my boy went back to, to England over Christmas. We went, he went back to visit his grandparents. And on a daily basis, he was going to the chip shop with my dad and eating curry sauce and mushy peas and chips salt, bathed in salt and vinegar. This really is good stuff. But the point is that God has given us brains that release a chemical that, that reward us when something good happens. When you go for a walk, when you play a game of, of, of tennis, when you do something that's healthy for you. Um, I don't get dopamine over eating broccoli. There's something wrong with my brain. But we all have a dopamine rush when we do something that's good for us, okay? But there's more to the brain than just dopamine. See, our brain is hardwired to motivate us to do things that are good for us. And as researchers have looked into the, 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 the brain that controls this, this behavior, uh, that, that regulates this behavior, there are actually two parts of the reward system of the brain. There is the liking system and there is the wanting system. I so took about those one at a time. The liking system, uh, when you do something that's enjoyable, your brain lights up. When you share a kiss, you experience a natural health reward. You win a game. Uh, if you're watching Super Bowl and you're following, let's say, the Eagles, and the Eagles score a touchdown, you have this release of dopamine into your brain. Uh, and you cheer for a few seconds, but if you were to be cheering two days later, people would think there's something wrong with you, wouldn't they? And why do you stop cheering? Well, because when you have that rush of dopamine in the brain, the brain releases a chemical called CREB, C-R-E-B. What CREB does, it acts like a set of brakes on the rush of dopamine. So you have the rush of pleasure, and the brain recognizes that you have this rush of pleasure, and so it releases this chemical into your bloodstream that actually slows it down. That's why when you score a touchdown, you may cheer for 30 seconds, but then you go back to normal again. You don't keep cheering and cheering and cheering. You have that, that high of pleasure, but then it fades away very, very quickly. It's not because you've lost pleasure in the touchdown, it's because your brain is actually regulating your sense of pleasure. Now the challenge is, that if you watch internet immorality, your brain produces more and more of this chemical CREB, C-R-E-B. And what this does is it numbs your response to any kind of pleasure. It acts, it kind of numbs your brain. Your brain is saturated in this chemical, and so it dulls your enjoyment of anything. Which is why those who are addicted to this kind of immorality, they end up feeling bored, detached, or depressed, that nothing gives them a sense of pleasure anymore. Now, the wanting system in your, in your brain is actually bigger than the liking system, and this causes the wanting part of your brain. Um, there are chemicals in there which help your brain to rewire itself in response to extreme pleasure. With the help of a protein that is called delta Fos B, the wanting system builds new brain connections so you can remember an experience and you can repeat it later. It's called the wanting system because as your brain rewires itself, you start to crave that, what, that pleasurable experience. And the more the experience is, re is repeated, the stronger those neural pathways become within your brain. Delta phosphia is sometimes called the molecular switch for addiction because it reinforces cravings. And if it builds up enough in the brain, it can switch on genes that leave you more vulnerable to addiction. Now, delta, delta phosphia doesn't just remember you, help you remember the pleasurable experience. It also forms connections to details associated 
with those experiences. Those, uh, those associations are called cues, and they are found everywhere. If you're addicted to alcohol and you, and you walk down the street and you see an advert for, oh, I don't know, Guinness beer, it's going to trigger a lot of memories in your mind. It's going to crave a desire for beer. If, if, you're, uh, if you're struggling with tobacco and you just walk by a, a bar on a Friday afternoon and you see people going in there for happy hour, it will trigger uh, an intense urge and desire to go in and to have a drink and to have a cigarette. And the same with internet um, immorality as well. For someone who uses internet immorality, the whole world seems like a collection of cues and triggers that drag your mind back to your addiction. Gradually, the neural pathways become so sensitized that you can barely get out of bed without triggers going off in your mind, dragging you back to the internet. So wait, didn't we say that Kreb dulls the nerves and Delta Fos B makes them less sensitive? So what's going on here? Actually, this, this, um, this creates this, this paradox in the mind of the addict. At the same time that the user wants it more and more, he actually likes it less and less. The more you want it, the less you like it. The more you are drawn to it, the less pleasure you find within it. This truly is a horrendous addiction. The next thing we'd say about the impact of this kind of immorality is it leaves you lonely and isolated. Internet immorality promises immediate satisfaction, endless excitement, and easy intimacy. But in the end, it robs you of all three. The more you consume, the more you um, withdraw emotionally from those around you, and the more socially isolated you tend to become. It becomes um, very difficult to engage in a normal human relationship, and the resulting loneliness and isolation just fuels the need for more internet immorality. Another thing that it does to you is it devastates your wife. I'm speaking here to men particularly. Um, let's, let's cut to the chase. Watching internet immorality is committing adultery. That's what it is. It's committing adultery. It's a breach of the seventh commandment. And a wife has every biblical right to divorce her husband who watches internet pornography. Okay? It's as simple as that. If a man watches it on the internet, he's committing adultery. But when a wife discovers that her husband is, is addicted to this kind of internet immorality, they go through the whole range of emotions that a wife will experience who discovers that her husband has been having an affair. Women report feeling rejection, humiliation, abandonment, isolation, anger, jealousy, bitterness, anger, and shame. Even if the woman does not believe that watching it online is actually the same as cheating on her, she will still experience a deep sense of loss, of betrayal, and an ongoing mistrust within the marriage. And because the internet use involves secrecy and shame, isolation and lying to your spouse, um, this introduces um, fractures into a marriage which are very, very hard to recover from. And leading on from that, we say that internet immorality kills love. Studies have shown that um, very, very few women view internet immorality as an acceptable thing for their husband. The studies show that it destroys relationships and it, it destroys marriages. Viewing it online makes a man more critical of his wife in every way possible and he becomes less satisfied with her in every way possible. Real love requires a real commitment to a real person. And internet immorality makes it very hard, if not impossible, for a man to love a real wife. The next factor that, uh, next impact of porn is that it actually destroys families. 
It undermines the trust, the respect, the love, and the communication that are at the core of a healthy society. And beyond that, it corrodes society in a terrible way. You see, as internet immorality has grown in popularity, it has become harder and darker. Um, a teenage boy might start out with erotic material, and then he may move on to softcore material, then he may move on to hardcore material, then he may move on to material involved scenes of sadomasochism and uh, assault and violence, and then he may move on to areas such as what is known as pedosadism, the assault and rape of, of infants online, which is a reality in our world today. And because of the way that the, the wanting, the liking system in, the brains work, in our brains work, um, the, once you start down this path, it's very, very hard to pull back because you keep having to go darker and darker and darker to get the same level of enjoyment. It truly is something that, devast that degrades and corrodes society. What we now see online are scripts that involve the degradation, the abuse and the humiliation of females, children and infants in ways that we do not even want to think about. Uh, an impact on young men is it causes chronic ED. Now, um, it used to be that uh, when men hit a certain age, let's say 45 or 50, they start having problems with ED. Nowadays, we are seeing an epidemic of young men in their 20s with ED. And uh, the, the fact is that they've, watched, they've consumed so much internet immorality that they can no longer respond to a real woman. And when they get married, they discover they're actually impotent. And um, this is a real problem for marriages, for young marriages today. Uh, for a bride to discover that her husband has ED isn't the best of news. Um, and if you look at internet message boards these days, you will find they're flooded with young men complaining about ED in their late 20s, and some of them in their late teens. And um, the problem is they know that something is wrong with their organ, but they forget that this is the organ where there is the problem. Finally, we say that it leads to violence against women and children. Study after study has shown as in the case of Ted Bundy, as a classic example, that uh, the users of internet immorality or, or, or printed immorality are much more likely to use coercion, drugs and alcohol to coerce women into certain acts. Multiple studies have shown that any kind of immorality, when, when it's consumed, increases aggressive behavior towards women, encourages men to cherish violent fantasies, and then they actually end up, end, they end up committing those violent assaults. If you have a wife, if you have a daughter, if you have a sister or a niece or a granddaughter, you want society to have nothing to do with internet immorality. We have men walking around like Ted Bundy who are ticking time bombs. Ticking time bombs. And uh, just, I mean, just as a state of what's happening in our society, there was a girl who escaped. Did you see the news two days ago in Wisconsin? She escaped, she was imprisoned by a man who had captured her. She was 13 years old. And, um, and uh, he, he killed her parents a couple of months ago. He held her captive, and she escaped by the grace of God two days ago. And she rushed out into the streets, I think in Milwaukee it was, and uh, she came up to a woman and pleaded for help. And the person who told me the story, they said, if I had a daughter, I would tell her that if she was in that situation, never go and ask a man for help. Go and ask a woman for help. It's a sad commentary on our society when a teenage girl fleeing a captor may not be well advised to go up to an average a regular, a random guy on the street and ask for help because you don't know what he in turn is going to do to you. This is the state where our society has ended up. In terms of the spiritual reality of internet immorality, porn is an addictive but it is a cherished sin. 
while that sin remains unconfessed and unrepented of, it will keep us out of heaven just as surely as Moses striking that rock, that one sin of Moses, kept him out of the promised land. And Adam and Eve um, disobeyed God and they ate the fruit of the tree and that one mistake cost them paradise. Internet immorality is a sin and if unconfessed and unrepented of will keep us out of the promised land. There is no acceptable use of this kind of material in the Christian worldview. It, is simply, it simply cannot happen. Um, and unless we repent of it, um, it will keep us out of the promised land. It's not, very, uh, it's not a very um, warm start to a sermon, is it? And let's admit this. Um, this is a serious matter. And, uh, you know, if, if you engage in any kind of ministry around people who are addicted to this kind of material, you will know the human devastation that this material leaves in its wake. Uh, there are some people today, I think, um, uh, Brother Steve Nichols here. Can we raise your hand for Stephen? Uh, Stephen uh, works with addiction ministries for the Lake Union. And uh, he knows from years of experience and ministering to people with addictive behaviors the devastation that it can leave in its, it can leave in its track. So what is the, the, the gospel for people who are addicted to internet immorality? How do we respond um, to this particular problem? Well, the first thing we would say is this. Recognize your need of help. Folks, it's a sin. And unless we repent of it, we are losing eternal life. No matter how often we come to church, no matter how much tired we return, as long as we cherish that, that unconfessed sin, it will keep us out of the kingdom of God. The first thing we say is this, recognize your desperate need of help. Jesus talked about it in this way in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, you've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. According to Jesus, there is no acceptable use of internet immorality. All internet immorality, when you consume it, is a sin. And unless confessed and repented of, will keep you out of the eternal kingdom of God. But the second point is this. First, recognize your desperate need for help. Secondly, is this. Understand that despite your use of internet pornography, God loves you and he wants to save you. Despite your use of immorality, God still loves you. Despite the debasement of your mind, he still loves you. Despite what you may, what, um, despite your viewing habits and the fact that every time you click, you're actually fueling a demand for more girls to be sucked into this system of evil. Despite all that you do, God still loves us and he wants to save each one of us. Very famous verses, for God so loved every porn user that he gave his only begotten son that whichever porn user believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn porn users but that porn users might, him, might through him be saved. It's a beautiful promise that God still loves those who are addicted to internet immorality. The third stage of what the gospel means in this to men caught up in this pernicious sin is to confess our sin before our Heavenly Father and to claim God's promise to us in 1 John 1 verse 9. But this is a beautiful psalm that speaks to this problem. Psalm 103, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious to porn users. He is slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he, has, he removed, uh, has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, 
so the Lord pities those who fear him, for he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. It's a beautiful passage from the Psalms, reminding us that even in, a, in the midst of our sins and the debasement of our minds, God is still merciful and gracious, and uh, he pities us, for he knows that we are but dust. The third, the fourth thing we might say the gospel is this, to look in faith to Jesus, who died in your place for your sins of sexual immorality, bearing your sin of pornography on your behalf. When we see Jesus died for the sins of the world, we tend to say, though maybe those are the nice sins, the socially acceptable sins, but no, Jesus died for every porn addict as well. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our porn sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Jesus died on our behalf to pay the penalty for the sins of internet immorality. Fifthly, claim God's promise of power to overcome your sin of internet immorality. This is an important point. We are not lost and helpless. We're not tossed on by the winds of misfortune. We cannot simply say, this is who I am and God's going to have to save me as I am. No, God invites us to become overcomers of sin in our lives. He, he believes that he, he's built us with neuroplasticity so that our minds can literally be reformed. And our neural pathways can be recreated. And the old neural pathways can be overridden by holy and sanctified neural pathways. And so God's claim, God's promise of power to overcome the sin of immorality, you find it there in Isaiah 41.10. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, yea, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The next thing that the gospel promises us, or we find, um, we move on from spiritual to more practical things, is this. Confess, if you're a married man, Confess your sin to your spouse. Now, your, my, your wife may already suspect that you have a problem. She may not have confronted you about it, but she may suspect that you have a problem from your telltale behavior, the fact that you're moody, the fact that you're withdrawn for long periods of time, that there are unreasonable physical demands and secretive behavior. But your wife may already suspect it. But if you're a husband, I want to say to you today, confess to your wife unreservedly, and never impute any blame to her. It is never the wife's fault when the husband consumes internet immorality. It is never her fault. Be grateful for a wife who is patient to put up with your corrupted behavior and your debased mind. Praise God for a wife who will stand by you and never blame your wife because it is never the wife's fault. Be willing to provide your wife with the time and the space that she needs as she comes to terms with the reality of your sinfulness. And be ready to actively participate in marriage counseling if she so desires. Guys, if you confess to your wife, it is a devastating thing to, to confess to. And your wife will go through the range of emotions that a woman that discovers her husband has been committing adultery. The same kind of emotional response. And you need to give your wife time and space and support for her to come to terms with the reality of what has been going on in the marriage. So confess your sin to your spouse. Next is recognize that you're addicted. Porn is a sin, but it is a sin with a, with a neurobiological basis. You are addicted to pornography. And as a result of it, sin has dominion over you. This isn't just a sin that comes and goes in your life. 
This is a sin that actually has dominion over your mind. It controls your thinking. As those neural pathways have been created over the years, as the Delta Fos B kicks in in your brain and creates those addictive pathways in your brain, your brain is literally being rewired so you are chemically driven to watch, to look at these things. Yes, it is a sin, but it also has a neurobiological component. And this addiction has dominion over us, resulting in compulsive, sinful, and risky behaviors. And so as a practical step, assess your level of addiction. Now, um, there are various online assessment tools that you can look up. Um, You can assess your level of addiction to alcohol or to tobacco online. You can do the same thing for internet immorality. Uh, You may sit down with your wife and you may do it together. She may just watch you as you go through the questions. Um, There are um, psychologists and therapists who actually help people. They do an assessment of the level of addiction because the addictive behaviors and the characteristics of internet immorality addiction are very similar to other addictive behaviors as well. And so you, you can have an assessment of the level of addiction. Seek appropriate accountability. Reflect honestly on what triggers your use of internet immorality and how you access it. Recognize when the triggers happen and find healthy ways to remove the triggers. For instance, going for a walk, playing a game of ping pong, or listening to some uplifting music. And if possible, remove those triggers and those access points from your life. Get rid of them from your home, such as cut off your internet access at home. Find a suitable online accountability program, such as Covenant Eyes, or X3 Watch, or Accountable to You. And, uh, you know, there are, there are many groups out there, mostly run by, by evangelicals. Um, there are many groups out there that provide the, the, these accountability mechanisms among men. Um, sometimes a man will not want to be accountable to his wife, because uh, if he confesses a, a failure, he sees the devastation in his wife's eyes. And so for many men, it's very helpful to be part of an accountability group where they can be with other men who can provide accountability, can provide testimonies of victory, who can pray with each other, who will encourage one another. And with programs such as Covenant Eyes, I haven't put it on the board here, but programs such as Covenant Eyes, you can set up your computer so that your accountability partner literally sees everything that you see. And there is no hiding from this. And then you have a weekly um, interview with that person and they, they, you talk about what's been going on in your minds and the, the last question is generally, um, in the last half hour, have you been completely honest with me? It's important that we recognize that this is a sin that it has such a hold on us that it's very, very hard in and of our own strength to gain victory by ourselves. Finding a support group is an important part of the therapeutic process. So I put it up there, actively participate in a Christian support group. Um, I think it's a truism of life that as men get older, we have many acquaintances but fewer and fewer friends. Would you agree with that? As men get older, we have many acquaintances but few true friends. And it's very hard for men to find somebody they can really open up to, someone who will listen to them. Someone who will sit at the kitchen table while maybe they break down in tears and feel there's a level of trust and confidentiality there. Many men simply do not have that kind of friend. They don't know where they can turn. As a result, they keep going back to the internet immorality. It's their private sin, it's their hidden sin, it's their cherished sin, but that's the only place where they experience any intimacy. 
And so finding a support group is, is, very, is a very important part of the healing process for guys who are caught up in the sin of internet immorality. And um, I would encourage you, um, you, see, you see in the, um, the bulletin here, you have uh, local resources for help with internet immorality. On the back there, you'll see a list of names. Um, one of them is Steve Nichols at the front. There's Bill Wells, there's Brooks Payne. I see Brooks, you're in the congregation. Only raise your hand for us. There he is back there. He's wearing yellow today. He's a revolutionary from France and um, the Yellow Vest movement. And I welcome Brooks today. Um, Brooks and Stephen have many years' experience helping men gain, gain victory over this particular problem. Um, this is printed out here, not so that we can be just thrown out at home. These resources are printed out, names and email addresses in this community of men who can help you um, find access to an accountability group, they do meet in Berrien Springs, and men are finding victory um, over this particular uh, addiction. And at the back of the church, as you leave today, we have an information sheet um, on the various um, men's accountability groups that exist in Berrien Springs. They're one phone call away, and uh, if you're interested, they're out on the deacon's desk. If you pick one up, it doesn't mean that you have an addiction. It means you may have a son who is an addicted, your husband who is addicted, a grandson, a nephew, or just a friend who you know may benefit from this material. And so seek appropriate accountability. Actively participate in a Christian support group. And perhaps most importantly, never give up hope. We are not innocent victims. We're not um, products. We're not just um, driven by our genetics in this. God has given us a conscience. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He speaks to our hearts. And he promises us victory if we turn to him, asking for his forgiveness and the empowerment of his Holy Spirit. Never give up hope. The Apostle Paul put it this way. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We can rewire our brains. It is possible. Many men have succeeded. And if you are trapped today in, in the pit of internet addiction, do not give up hope. We serve a mighty Savior who, is, who has the authority and the power to lift us out of that pit. Like a recovering alcoholic, a recovering pornoholic will always have a struggle with temptation. But as the days and the weeks pass by, you will find that God's promise of brain renewal will come true as your brain develops new healthy, God-fearing, and sanctified neural pathways. Your use of porn has burned sin-bearing chemical pathways into your brain, but through the gift of neuroplasticity, God will renew our thinking, and that renewal can begin today. So what do we say in conclusion today? Firstly, there's a beautiful promise from Hebrews 4, verses 14 through 16. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. What a beautiful promise, yes? We have a high priest who was tempted in all ways as we are, yet is and was without sin. He knows what it is to be a man walking on planet earth. And in his name, we can come before our Heavenly Father 
that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in our time of need. There's no mention there of condemnation. There's no mention there of pointing the finger at the repentant sinner. We serve a God who delights to forgive his children when they turn to him in repentance and ask for the grace to overcome this besetting sin. Secondly, this is my favorite quote from the, from the writings of the Spirit of Prophecy. Um, I actually have it printed out in my Bible. And um, uh, it's a beautiful quote. It says, The greatest want of the world is the want of men. Men who will not be bought or sold. Men who in their innermost souls are true and honest. Men who do not court fear to call sin by its right name. Men whose conscience is as true to duty as the needle to the pole. Men who will stand for the right, though the heavens fall. Can you say amen? amen? That is the kind of men that God is looking for today. It is possible to be that kind of man. We have the stories of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and David, all of whom fell into sin, and all of whom were restored through the grace of God. And we can be those patriarchs in our generation today. But the quote goes on like this. The next paragraph says this, But such a character is not the result of accident. It is not due to special favors or the endowments of providence. Like some men are not just blessed by God to have the ability to overcome this, and some men are cursed by God with an inability. That is not the case. Rather, a noble character is the result of self-discipline, of the subjugation of the lower to the higher nature, the surrender of self for the service of love to God and to man. That when we give our lives over to the service of those around us, to those in need, and to the surrender of service to God and love to God, we find that we become less focused on ourselves and on our needs for gratification. So one of the ways to overcome this internet addiction that many men experience today is to look for ways to serve those less fortunate than ourselves. If you're tempted on a Saturday night to watch internet pornography, make it a habit to do hospital visitation on Saturday night. Okay? Engage in service to man and women. Uh, this isn't gender specific here, obviously. The surrender of self for the service of love to God and man. Find opportunities to serve others and express God's grace that he's given to you in service to those around you. And that is part of the process of sanctification that God wishes for all of us today. And finally, be practical. Don't just sit here today and go home and dine on the preacher's flesh. No, um, Make a call today. I put those up on the screen. These are God-fearing men in this community who can help. If you know somebody who needs help, give one of these men a call and talk with them about the situation. They have helped many men in the Bering area to gain victory. And uh, by God's grace, if you or anybody you know is experiencing the same problem, they will also find victory through the power of Jesus Christ alone. Make a call today. Write somebody an email. Don't just sit and stew in that sin, um, but start the process of healing today. It is a sin that is addictive, but Jesus Christ is able to overcome any of these sins uh, through the grace that he gives each one of us. So today, men, it's a day of religious liberty. Do not say that you do not have the liberty to overcome this sin. Do not say today that you are controlled by your genes or controlled by the Delta Fosby in your brain. We have religious liberty in America. Use that liberty that God has granted you to gain victory over this besetting sin. And if you've never done so, make a call. Talk to your Heavenly Father about it. Reach out to someone who can help, who is ready to help, who is willing to help, who will walk with you through what will be a difficult journey 
but the journey is worthwhile. It will be the restoration of your mind, the restoration of your marriage, the restoration of your heart, the ability to live a healthy and a wholesome life, the ability to be a man of faith as God has called you to be. So men, don't sit on your, don't just sit and do nothing about this. Stand up for God and see what he may do for you. It's my prayer for his name's sake. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.